0: This is Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatwin, and this week's guest is Nebraska baseball coach Darren Erstad, two-time Major League Baseball All-Star, World Series champion, and college football national champion. We talked about the hundreds of notes his dad left him growing up in North Dakota, about his first meeting with Tom Osborne why he annoyed and inspired teammates in the major leagues, and the challenge of transitioning to coaching.
1: In the championship game in Bismarck, which was like an hour and a half away, and we played at like 6 o'clock at night, I played wiffle ball. I was the starting pitcher that night, and I threw wiffle balls, taped up wiffle balls for probably three hours with my buddy in our backyard. <laughs> probably not what you're looking to do. I had Reggie Jackson, come up, to, literally came up to me at Yankee Stadium. We're doing BP. Walked right up to me and goes, Son, you gotta stop playing that way. You're of no use to your team. You're never gonna be able to play. You're gonna be you're gonna be hurt. You can't play that hard. And I'm like, Reggie, that just makes me want to beat the Yankees even more. I mean how many people really retired? David Ortiz, Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter. The rest of us, you don't retire, they tell you you're not good enough.
0: This is where I come from. I wanna read something to you. Okay. The din was never so great as it was at 819 Pacific Time on Sunday night when Lofton, Kenny Lofton, batting with two two outs in the ninth, stroked a high fly ball into center field. As Erstad glided under it, suddenly he could not hear the noise from the crowd. He heard nothing except for one clear voice. It was the voice of his father, Chuck. It was not coming from the stands where his father watched. It was coming from his childhood, far back to when his father taught him how to catch. Use two hands, is what he heard. I got chills when I read that. True story. How often do you think about that? That was Game 7 of the 2002 World Series?
1: Uh, only when it's brought up to me. Really? Yeah. I just find it ironic now that that whole time you play catcher is... Your dad, and he tells you two hands, and now everybody's trying to just catch with one hand, and they tell you it's more athletic. and right. how that's kind of changed, but I don't care. That story will always, <laughs> always be there, and yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh,
0: that was from Sports Illustrated, Tom Verducci in 2002. Um, you thought about your dad, uh, just a subconscious thought.
1: True story, too. I mean, I, I, I mean, it sounds like I made it up, and it, it literally happened. I mean, it was in the air. And I just – and I never had those moments before. Never, never before. And then as soon as I caught it, I felt like I woke up and I was running in and all I thought about was thank God I didn't drop that because that would have really sucked. And those (laughs) those are literally the two thoughts that I had pre and post catching the ball. And then, you know, it's just chaos after that. So it was – but, yeah, that's what it's all about. Pile jump and team championships and give a whole community – you know, World Series title is it's very similar to Coach Osborne's first title and, and everybody getting to have they had already had national titles here in football, but to give coach that same thing. That's just that was that's uh, that's what's all about for me. I mean we go back to California and I still get we're just walking down the street, we'll be going to eat and nice. somebody'll just walk up to me and go, Thanks, Erste. Like to I me mean, how many I mean how many years it is now. It's a long time but fifteen. Still still you still get that going back. They still say thanks, Erste. And it's like just to know you know, giving the community something that they had some tough times with in, in previous playoff experiences, but to give them that moment of joy, that that has been the long-lasting effect that I remember. It's not that one moment. It's the the sustainable thanks, Erste, that you get, and that to me is the coolest thing.
0: Coach Osborne said something interesting. I, think, I don't think he was the only one to feel this way, but, you know, after they won it, he almost, I think he almost realized how um, not insignificant it was, but it doesn't necessarily change your life, you know, like you still, you accomplished it, and yet you almost have to find joy in other things, you know.
1: What I noticed from the baseball thing is it brings a whole new set of challenges in your life. Hmm. How do you handle success? You know, we, without a doubt, without a doubt, had a hangover the next the next year. We had tons of injuries. Um, we had a couple guys get in some trouble. Um, it just was not good. And and we didn't know how to handle it. And, you know, they talk about how hard it is to repeat success. Well, we, we learned firsthand. Now, we turned it around pretty quickly in 04 and 05 and got back into the playoffs. But, um, yeah, it was a definitely a learning experience. And, and, unfortunately, we had a couple of, of guys that uh, – their lives went the wrong way and we had a couple of staff members that same type of thing where the success and 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 stuff that happened um that was a tough lesson so there's a give and take in there but i you know for me that was uh that was a big learning lesson of of like <laughs> very similar is like look it's it's back to ground it's back to zero man you got to earn everything all over again if not twice as hard as it was the year before so mm. you know it brought a lot some new challenges that's for sure
0: how'd you uh who
1: taught you to play baseball? As tots, as I don't know if I. How'd really, you learn the game? Playing catch with my parents in the backyard. Mom would put, you know, squat down and throw to her. Dad would throw BP. Um, Were
0: they athletes? Oh,
1: my dad was, you know, but uh, you know my mom. She was she grinded it out there with us. You know, I think everybody has that one figure outside your family in your life that has a big influence on you. Uh, his name was Tom Gould. He is still taking care of the baseball fields in my hometown in Jamestown and still running the, the younger programs. And, you know, I'd be down there all the time and, and he would always make it fun to come there. He'd throw BP. He'd help me do things. He, he'd give me two bucks to go to Hardy's so I could get a cheeseburger so I wouldn't have to go home. And I mean, I went back for our alumni legion game for the first time uh, ever and put on, Spikes for the first time since I stopped playing for the first time ever. And sure enough, who's still running the thing? Who's throwing BP? Tom Gould. That was this summer? This summer in June, yeah. So he's just, those kind of fixtures make the game fun. I know that I enjoy going to the yard because of guys like him.
0: Uh, your dad was, uh, he was an insurance, right? <coughs> mm-hmm. And your mom worked for the church? Correct. Uh, and you were the, the middle of two, middle of three brothers and sisters?
1: Yeah. Well, my sister was older, brother was younger, yeah.
0: Um, what was what was home life back? What was it like? How do you characterize it?
1: Supportive. I think that'd probably be the biggest word. The one thing that I really, the two things that stick out to me, I guess, are they encouraged me to try everything. Everything. I mean, everything. Whatever it was, they supported it. And every time I left the, the front door, my mom was standing right there and she'd always tell me, have fun. And it drove me crazy, but I'll never. Those are the two things I'll never forget. Just be supportive, keep an open mind, find what you love, and when you do it, they never said try your best. It wasn't that. It said have fun, and for me, fun was getting dirty and getting after it and competing, and that was great. But the, the support. I mean, they just. I was fortunate to have both parents alive together, in my life, and they were everywhere. They, you know, my dad would. I'd hear him at five o'clock in the morning doing dictation on his tape recorder, getting all his work done in the morning so he could, come, you know, leave work early and come to our events or really? p- or pick us up and, and you know bring us food before the hockey bus or you know before the football bus. Just it was all about us, and it wasn't just for me; it was for my brother and sister too. And um, yeah, it was just a very special, uh, very fortunate, and grateful to get to grow up in that atmosphere.
0: You were a Twins fan
1: huge Twins family. The twin,
0: those were the glory days. Glory the days.
1: Kirby Puckett. I mean, Ken Herbeck, Tom Bernanski, Dan Gladden, Steve Lombardozzi. I mean, we could keep going on. I mean, it was, that's what it was all about. And and um, we take our family trip to Minnesota every year and, and go to Valley Fair and then parents would drop me off like three hours before the gates opened at the, at the Metrodome because I thought I might be able to somehow sneak in early. Never got <laughs> to do that, but I'd sit outside and just on a mission to get a ball in BP and get a ball in uh, the game and that's really all I cared about. Did you the, get balls? Uh, we, it was a little dry spell early on uh, in the, in actually our first ball that we ever got uh, was, was a game that I didn't go to that I, I chose not to go to cause I wanted to play at the hotel or go swimming. And they actually got a ball from Brian Downing down the left field line. Uh, and and uh, I think the angels were actually in town at that time. and. Um, I missed that opportunity, but then I, I had a good little streak there towards the end of my our vacation runs. But I don't know was,
0: how to feel about you choosing a uh, hotel swimming over over the Metrodome. I
1: know. I'm. It's very well documented that I'm not perfect, and there are moments <laughs> in my life that I have had to get over, and that was one of them, but, um, yeah, just uh, getting an opportunity to watch them and then get an opportunity to actually go back there and play and meet Kirby before he passed away and... and and know Gladden and and those guys and and I actually ran into Bernanski and Scott Erickson at a golf event this winter so I got to take a picture with them and did they know you were well I knew Scott I have known Scott for a while but I had never really met Bernanski but you know once I started talking to him it was just it was pretty cool so it's uh Oh, I got all kinds of twins memories. It's I still when I we played there, I'd still sing the the fight song that they have. I'd sing it on deck as I was getting ready to play against them. So. Really? Oh yeah, I mean I was in the what was the twins spell? We're gonna win twins. We're gonna score. We're gonna win twins. Watch that baseball score. Knock out a home run shot. A hit parade. That song. Yeah. So I oh yeah, I still sing that one. And I was part of the fan club forever. So yeah, I do like the twins.
0: Roger Maris grew up in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're in Jamestown. Where was he from? Fargo. Okay. Uh, and your dad was a big Maris guy right oh, he was just a
1: big baseball guy he yeah. played in college and he played some amateur ball and and um I we never talked about that stuff he didn't no a huge baseball fan you know and and yeah we just it wasn't something he talked about we just did you know I'd travel around to his softball games and baseball I don't really remember him playing baseball but his softball games we'd travel around and we go to all the amateur you know state tournaments and really play with football and do all that good stuff so yeah
0: you did not, I mean, it was, it was a little bit different era. Obviously, the climate's part of it. You're doing a lot of different things. I mean, you're ice fishing and sledding and all sorts of stuff. You didn't actually play that much baseball, right? No
1: high school baseball. So we'd track within into May, and then we'd start the baseball season, like, first week of June. And I think the State Legion tournament was, what, second week of August or first week of August, and then we'd go into football. So, so yeah. you'd
0: play, like, two months.
1: Fifty games, yeah, I think that's what we ended up playing. And that was it yep I never picked up a bat in the winter I mean maybe my buddy played for Jameson College so we might have went in the cage like once or twice but the cage wasn't anything I mean it was you were trying to protect your life throwing BP and hitting in there but it was very very rarely did I do anything baseball wise outside pretty, of that. that's much. pretty
0: eye opening in today's culture well, youth, it's, youth baseball it's definitely
1: definitely different definitely different but again it's, it's just what you know it's what you grow up with times change it's I mean, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's just I know that, I just know when the season, you know, you had that sense of urgency. That I mean, there's only so many warm days in North Dakota. You better get out there and play. So I mean, it was sun up to sun down playing wiffle ball. I mean, we played my my last year Legion ball. We played, we were in the championship game in Bismarck, which was like an hour and a half away, and we played at like 6 o'clock at night. I played wiffle ball. I was the starting pitcher that night, and I threw wiffle ball, taped up wiffle balls for probably three hours with my buddy in our backyard. (laughs) Probably not what you're looking to do, but, I mean, it's just
0: what we did. Hey, wiffle ball is actually hard on your arm, too, because you're throwing it super hard. Probably don't need to know that, but it wasn't the smartest thing, (laughs) but... Yeah. There's a great story about you uh, at a junior high track meet, and this I think kind of illustrates how many different things you did growing up. But you're you're preparing for, uh, you're preparing for your final attempt at a, at a PR in the pole vault, uh, and your teammate you're you're also supposed to run the anchor on the hundred on the 800 meter relay. Uh, Coach had a, had a fill-in in place on the relay. Must have been standing on the track. Like, Darren's not going to make it. You you clear the pole vault height. You run over, like, 100 meters to the final exchange zone for the relay. You take a couple deep breaths. You grab the baton, and you win the relay.
1: Do you remember that? You're digging deep, Dirk. Where are you coming up with this stuff? Do you remember that? I do. It's an accurate story, too. But the thing, like full disclosure, the only reason I did pole vault is so I didn't have to practice track and have to run. So that's the only reason I did. I was not good at it. You know, my PR was not anywhere it wasn't even state qualified. It didn't matter. It was it was all about what do I what can I do to go off for track but and get to run hurdles and do the meets but not condition. And that's how it worked. But yeah, I did I did do that and, and cleared whatever the height was and went over there and, and ran the race.
0: You were you were all state in football? Uh, receiver and linebacker.
1: Uh, I played defensive back. I I might DB, play linebacker okay. a little bit. We moved around a little bit.
0: But. Um, two track and field goals in, in the in the hurdles. Um, but your best and favorite might have been hockey, right? Still is, yeah. Still is. Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you remember about how, how'd you get so hooked on hockey? It's
1: just one of those things, you know. You parents tell you to try everything, and and. I suppose you probably, you know, I played basketball. I played both, and then you had to make a decision, and I chose basketball in junior high. And but we, I mean, every park has an outdoor rink. So where we lived, I would literally put my skates out of my house, put my rubber skate guards on, and skate on the snow and ice to the rink. And then we just stayed. I mean, I'd skate all day long. And I just, I remember getting his name was Levi Cloud actually, and uh, he he was at the YMCA. And we were actually playing. Ba- we were playing basketball. He was there and recruited me to come out and try out for for hockey in peewees. And it was, I went home. And I told my parents I want to play hockey. And that's probably there. I told you they're supportive. They'll tell you that that was probably one of the only moments that they were not supportive. Really? Oh, no, they hated it. They wanted no part of it. They're bas- basketball you- family. It just was kind of out of the blue, and and um, I think they. We're sick of the going to basketball practice and changing into hockey clothes on the way to hockey practice. And <laughs> and I don't know. I just, I made that decision and, and I went out for the peewee team and I made it. And, uh, that yeah, was, uh, interesting, but I, and, and it was a big shift because all my real close friends played basketball mm-hmm. and, but I just, I just something about lacing up the skates and getting out there and that feel and. I mean, I would skate every day if I could right now, if I had time. It's just still in there; it's in there. I don't know. I mean, and so I just. Uh,
0: I mean, we're talking like we're talking like minus ten, minus twenty degrees in. You know, yeah. you you didn't even notice it, huh?
1: No, I mean, we had two we had two indoor rinks in town. So I mean, your your organized practices were in rinks, and then we'd have. I mean, I think there was at the time seven outdoor rinks around the parks in our town. And, you know the, this group from this rank would come over into your turf and you'd got to play you know a game of spongy hockey and, and sometime boot hockey, sometimes regular hockey. but yeah I just spent a lot of time out there and loved to do it.
0: As a senior you uh, scored 36 goals and 24 assists in 26 games. You were finalists for, for Mr. Hockey in the state uh, but you never won a state championship in, in any sport, right? Any team sport
1: thanks for bringing that up yep you're right a uh, lot of seconds and thirds
0: second in football yeah third in hockey twice second in baseball three times <laughs> how did uh how did 17 year old Darren Erstadt handle that
1: not well not well yeah. yeah it was uh you know but again you if you're gonna tie it all together and bring it back around probably fuel for the fire learn how to handle that stuff probably made you a little more hungry to get to that next next level and and those disappointments I think over time you you have some success as a team and then you you know when you finally have it it makes it that much more sweet and I think that that my first experience with a team title was was coaches you know the 94 team and to say that that was sweet is I think that's the understatement of the world, but from my own little personal, selfish team standpoint, it got rid of a lot of demons that you know were were out there in my own personal, you know, checklist of, of stuff. But yeah, it was it sucked. There's no way around it. Suck it sucks.
0: How did how did people handle your intensity? I mean, I was a competitive kid, probably not nearly as competitive as you. You don't know that, but I, you know. You, you you end up making people mad, you you know, you have temper tantrums, you piss people off. How did people respond to you? Because, you know, I think your intensity back then was probably extraordinary. How did you how did people handle you? Or were you able to keep your grips on it? Oh
1: no, it was awful. I mean I I vividly remember playing gustner Elementary School in a fifth grade basketball game and crying after we lost and the other team making fun of me and, and like laughing at me because I was crying there's no doubt about it I mean it's you know it was a I was an emotional kid I still am now have I learned how to control it sure my parents were um, like I said so supportive they figured out to just leave me alone sometimes it was a day sometimes it was a week uh, my dad uh, found a really cool niche in and, and he would write me letters I have I have stacks and stacks of letters from my dad still oh yeah that he would that he would write me to give advice instead of, like, confronting me. He would he would not break down like my performance, but break down how to handle, maybe what had came my way in the game or how I'm feeling or you know where we're gonna go from here. Like he was awesome with that, and then it turned into emails because his writing wasn't as good. Um, but just uh, f- fascinating how that kind of. Has from from his dad, you know, uh, having a lot of stuff on on tape that to give to his to his son, which is my dad, and now my dad did the same for me. It's just so. Wait like, a second, you,
0: your grandfather did it. To, did he it did to it. Dad? He
1: did it on a more general scale of just documenting everything that he talked about. It was more historical based, but it's just funny how like and my dad took all of those all of those tapes and transferred them into CDs. So we have all of that. It's just it's just golden stuff. Oh my god! And and just I had the same similar thing with my dad I still do to this day, where you know we he'll give me advice on anything from you know what happened in the game to you know we're the one we were breaking down you know the one he sent me today is on Bartolo Colon you know and, and, and you know the you know trying to figure out why he's in, wanting to play more now than he did when ten years ago and the Fargo Moorhead uh, Red Hawks. Uh, Manager had been there for twenty two years and just got um, uh, fired, you know. So things like that, we still talk about and try and relate them to what we've been through.
0: Yeah. You keep all this stuff. Oh yeah. And do you, you go back and read the old oh, yeah. stuff sometimes? well yeah. yeah. That's remarkable. Yeah. Are you going to do it for your kids? I, w-
1: I would s- say in some fashion. I don't know if writing the notes probably not going to get it done. Maybe maybe it's a. A podcast, maybe it's who knows what it is. You know, I mean, what's that? Name? Our kids are probably not to that point yet where they need that. They're still young enough, but uh, I, I think there's definitely a pattern of of giving back that uh, will probably keep happening. Yeah.
0: So, what's the best piece of advice your your dad ever gave you? Oh,
1: I'm terrible at
0: just I know singling true. out know one one I thing.
1: Um, I definitely remember from my mom having fun and we still laugh about that all the time you know and and that that it's everybody does that in their own certain ways um i don't think there's one like line uh from my dad that i necessarily remember but it's the consistent overwhelming support good or bad like it there was no judging like he's there good or bad and always staying right there. And that, you know, all regardless if there's one specific, you know, piece of advice, good or bad, it's just, it's always there. It had no bearing on the outcome if we got second place or if we got first place. It, it didn't. It was all about moments. It was all about creating moments for, for, for everybody, for the family, for, you know, just it.
0: He had a really good head on his shoulders, huh?
1: I like him a little bit. Yeah, he's okay.
0: He'd leave these things like in your room or mm-hmm. on the table or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he would he would he would do like um, like cereal bowl like cuz he was up early, right? So he was big on getting the seatbelt law passed in North Dakota back way back when um, and you know he did a lot of stuff with with car accidents and so I have my cereal bowl and there might be an envelope with my name on it and then there'd be a picture up against my cereal bowl of one of his clients. That had put their head through a windshield for not wearing their seatbelt. Not, I mean, it wasn't the person in there, but it was the aftershot and showing what you know, not wearing your seatbelt could do. So he had little subtle ways of doing (laughs) stuff like that. Real subtle, yeah. But not all the time with the pictures. But he, you know, he put he just put the note by my bed or by my toothbrush or yeah, and just so you just got used to it. So we did, yeah. And It was always on yellow legal paper and always in pen, and you ersted handwriting is it's close to a different language it's hard to read it's like a doctor it is so you go from grandpa ersted and you see his handwriting very few people can read it i can read it and you look at my dad's and it's you could you know as he gets older and i look at mine now i'm like i'm on that same path so at some point he just you know he, he's dealing with parkinson's so typing was was easier for him mm. still is so um
0: you said one time that uh, you said you have more memories or your memories are more vivid of that childhood stuff than it is the college and professional stuff. You, you said that is when it was real. That is when it was true. What did you mean by that?
1: Yeah, it's. I think what I was trying to say is is you know when you the times you have before you have a ton of responsibility where, you know, there's not bills to pay or relationships or travel or you just want, all you do is just play, you know, and, and, and that, that having that family support, having your parents just kind of pull all that stuff to the side and, and just having the sheer joy of getting to do things. I mean, that, that's what I, I remember. And, and, you know, it's, I think that's kind of just those moments of, you know, still just my buddy and I going in the backyard and playing with football for hours and, I mean I'd come back from college after, you know, I was we, we still played. And I came back I was playing Pro ball. We were back for Christmas in I don't know what year it was, but early two thousands. I just finished, you know, a season. We come back for Christmas and it was like forty degrees. We put down a mat and we play with football in the backyard, you know, and we're still playing. So it's uh you know, those are the kind of moments. You sound
0: like Mike Riley talking. So Riley would go back to Corvallis where he grew up and like he, this is when he was coaching at Linfield College as a defensive coordinator, and he'd go back to Corvallis in his mid twenties with like Harold Reynolds and all all these guys from the neighborhood, and they're in there. They're twenty five years old. They're playing. They're playing football in a schoolyard. I mean, and they just they loved it.
1: Yeah, I mean, and my brother, when I was living there, he was too young to really play with us. Well, now he's he of course was a few years younger than me well they took the tradition on in the backyard so now he's old enough to take us on so now we got to take him down and you know we always taped up our Wiffle ball bats stuffed them you know you can make your own still have it by the way but they, you have that well my brother went to broom they went to stick ball so they went to so they had to use a, a skinnier bat so it's kind of a degree of difficulty. oh it, well it was a lot different so they you know and and uh, but yeah anytime we had a chance to do that I mean still do
0: how'd you become a lefty well,
1: become a lefty I,
0: you were right out of the oh, game I,
1: huh? they, never, they never just happened never yeah. me and my dad was left handed but he hit right handed and then hockey the only thing I do right handed is play hockey and the only reason that doesn't make any sense well here it will when I tell you why the, so in North Dakota okay. somewhere along the line when we were a young kid somebody I don't know who it was Said you play hockey the opposite of what you are. This makes sense. Okay, well, it sure made sense to me, right? But you never asked that question because
0: it would screw up your baseball swing. No, no, just oh, okay. There was no reason. It doesn't make sense. You just you just do it
1: because that's what you're told to do, right? (laughs) I mean, that's how back way back when you okay, you just do it. So we, when I finally get to Anaheim and, and we got to know, when Disney owned the Angels and the Ducks, we got, you know, got to know a lot of those guys. So every hockey player thinks they can play baseball. They, so they come over and, of course, some baseball players think they can play hockey, but we're not that good. But anyway, so I brought that up to somebody. And they looked at me like I was the biggest idiot ever. They're like, who would have taught you that? So my whole life I thought that was the right thing to do. And they said that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So kind of blew that up in my face. But there you go.
0: I thought it was maybe because it would screw up your baseball swing.
1: No, no. Because they're different motions. Never even, didn't even cross my mind or didn't even think about that.
0: You don't come to Nebraska... Without a connection, sort of a coincidental connection, mm-hmm. uh, your American Legion coach Steve Gillespie, Gillespie, uh, was a former Nebraska assistant, and he connected John Sanders to you. What a what a serendipitous thing there, huh? I've
1: I've been fortunate to have a few of those moments in my life, and and you know, and when you have them, you just <laughs> you just you look back on it. I've been been fortunate quite a few times in my life and fortunately i've been ready to you know do something with it but it's um yeah i mean coach sanders they brought me down on a recruiting trip never seen me never seen me play they asked me to bring my highlight video down with me so there was something other- Wait,
0: they'd never even seen you play no. when you came down
1: no just a word of mouth from no so, I've never been out of the state of North Dakota playing them, I mean, how would they ever, it's not like you're throwing it up on a recruiting website, you know. Right. So, yeah, we literally brought the, the VHS tape, and the only reason we had anything was because the, one of the Fargo stations had done, like, a little piece on, you know, hockey, football, baseball, and track, so we just brought that, and, like, put it in there, and they watched it, and they are like, there's, like, three clips, they're like, oh, yeah, good, and, and then they they saw me kick on were like you kick too. Well, we got to get you a trial with the football team. And I'm like, and I'm like <laughs> okay, excited. here we go. They were was, more excited yeah, about that. Yeah, I was like, oh, here we go. You know, you know, I know that's not going to happen. I mean, it's the Huskers. Come on. So that, but it's just kind of funny how that was said in my recruiting meeting, and then two, for two years it never got brought up again. So I was like, oh, of course they're not. You know, that's not going to happen. But yeah, that was it. They offered me a scholarship on the on that on that visit and it happened to be in 91 fall of 91 was the the washington game where washington came yeah. back brunell and bill joe and lincoln kennedy were that comeback ahead. i was there yeah oh, i know you were <laughs> i'm sure i didn't know but i'm sure you were but all i cared about was watching stinky
0: punt i was like
1: oh my gosh look at that guy you know and, and uh but seeing that and and uh that yeah, was pretty cool
0: So that's the fall of 91, you graduate in 92, Mm -hmm. Uh, you play your first baseball season in 93, and then tell me how the Osborne Connection happens. Somebody made like a highlight video, right? Have you messing around at Cook Pavilion? No,
1: no, no. So, yeah, so we played, what, spring of 93, so it's the fall of 93. So my sophomore year in the fall. Okay. Yeah, so we're in the Cook. Like on Fridays, we'd go over there for conditioning in the fall, and we'd, you know, jack around play football for conditioning well at that time I think there was like I don't know if there were skill instruction groups practice I don't know what the heck football was doing but we after we were done we would we would kick the ball so I was just doing what I normally do go in there and they wanted the guys on the team knew I could kick it so we'd go in there and kick whatever however far it was and apparently we were in between groups and some coach saw me and then word got back over and they're like hey like What's, what's this guy doing? You know, he's <laughs> playing baseball. And I'm like, they're like, well, hey, you interested in football? I was like, come on. And he's like, no, seriously. And they're like, well, you can't try out because you're, you're playing for a different sport. You have to put it together yourself. So the word got back from whoever it was, said you need to go in Memorial Stadium, film from the stands so we can do hang time, kick both ways so we know which way the wind's blowing. So Jake Myers' dad, Paul, was the assistant coach, so he stood up in the stadium Filmed it, and we had you know, a guy like Jed Dalton was like the catching punts. I think he was actually trying out himself to try and be a returner because okay. he because he wanted to do that. But uh, yeah, so I just punted both ways, and I took that VHS tape up to Coach Osborne's office, and I sat in there in his office. And this is the first time you've ever met. I ever remember. met him. Yep, sat there, and
0: what was that conversation like? There wasn't a
1: conversation. Just said hi, and I mean, I didn't talk at all. And, he watched it and I think through, I mean, there's, I don't know, 20 punts on there. I think one time he said, Well, oh, that was okay. That was it. And, and he didn't say a word. That was it. There's no conversation, no small talk. And I'm like, Well, at least you got to meet Coach Osborne. <laughs> and then after it was over, he looked at me and he said, Do you want to play Nebraska football? I said, Yes. He goes, No. Do you want to play Nebraska football? I'm like, Yes. Literally walked across the hallway to the secretary's office, signed my scholarship to order of football. End story. That, and that, was, that
0: was the fall of ninety
1: three. The fall of ninety three could have been October, November. I don't know
0: what, when it was because you didn't really start until you didn't start right away, right? They, no, 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 You Because they went started in spring of ninety four. I
1: watched, I watched the the ninety three Orange Bowl game or the ninety four Orange Bowl game, whichever. However, the weird year change thing. The one they lost. Correct. So I watched that from my same Wiffle Ball Buddy's basement in North Dakota, knowing in the spring that I was going to be practicing a little bit with the football team and playing baseball. And, and, um, yeah, that was... And uh, so that
0: spring you're bouncing back and forth. I did, yeah. And I wasn't...
1: I mean, I I actually didn't do very well in baseball that year. It was just okay. And, um, yeah, but I did the spring game. I punted a little bit and went over and changed. And at the time all the old parts, the you know the fields were right next to each other, so I yeah. punted a little bit, and then walked out the gate and changed my clothes and went over there and played baseball. And and then the following fall, I went out and played in the Cape, so I didn't do any of the football conditioning. So in, I took a bag of footballs out to Massachusetts, and I found a soccer field, and I would just punt, and then I go get them and punt back, and just did it by myself. Left a week early uh, from the Cape for. Uh, Football practice Had no place to stay So I slept on A buddy's house On his floor Had no furniture So I slept on A wood floor For the first week Or two days And finally found A place to stay And played some football
0: uh, you make it sound pretty simple. Those those are two really an in, a really interesting contrast though, because you know Nebraska baseball was not a very big deal in those days. There's probably what five f- hundred people at Buck Belzer Field.
1: Actually, I remember very clearly one of the attendants. today's attendance five. No, um, oh yeah, it was snowing. Bob Stein camp for sure. One of the scouts was there. I think there was a couple uh, girlfriends who were there, and uh, maybe maybe Darren Peterson's parents five? were there. That was it, five. Oh yeah. It was a pretty cold day though.
0: Okay, so so you've got that where you're kind of one of the stars of the team, uh, and then you're the pun a much smaller piece of you know the biggest show in college football. How, how did those two experiences go together, and, and how would you compare them? I I mean, I was probably too
1: dumb to know the difference. I mean, if there's no, no Were you
0: nervous playing football? I guess that's a you difference. know,
1: actually no. I, I thought I would be really nervous, and I wasn't. But there's no social media. There's no. I mean, I didn't read the papers. I didn't watch TV. I mean, I didn't ever watch the news. I didn't. I didn't know what expectations were. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. It was like I get it's like the best fantasy football trip ever. I get to be on the field and stand on the sidelines and watch this freak show of a team go about its business. You know, and I will say after the initial uh, <clears throat> first week of practice, like how welcoming. A majority of the team was. It probably made that transition um, pretty easy, but it was. Um, yeah, it was
0: pretty intense. Kickoff classic. Uh, you remember that?
1: Oh yeah, I remember. I mean, they don't. They don't tell you anything. Okay, I didn't. They don't tell you. They just tell you you're getting on a bus. You have no pad. They don't tell you your pads in your locker. I don't know this. I mean, like I never done it before. You, know, you get there and you're like now what you know and it's like get dressed and then all of a sudden everybody's kneeling down and coaches going over special team stuff and then this prayer starts and dear lord and the battles we go through in life and i'm like i have no idea what's going on and it just they never tell you how many kicks to do in warm-up or you know just so i just went out there and said oh well i just new scored i kicked off and when just worked down, i punted and game went pretty good.
0: You didn't worry too much about it. Oh, well,
1: I worried a lot, but I didn't. <laughs> nobody wanted to hear my worries. I'm, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a planner. I like, de- I like to know what's going on, and it was, it was definitely an of body experience. Um, but I learned, I, I, got it pretty quickly. I figured it out. You know? Okay,
0: what's your, what's your favorite sort of uh, unusual memory of that season? I mean, there's obviously the, the Orange Bowl, and you know. Beating Colorado and all that stuff, but but what was what's something that stands out that maybe uh, maybe illustrated where you where you were?
1: Well, I learned really quickly not to win the conditioning drills. I you know one of the first two days they after after you we know, don't kickers. I don't know what they do now, but back then we didn't do anything. We sat like literally Tom Sealer and I and Ted Retzlaff and Jesse Cush, We, we We didn't do much. Maybe snapped to the quarterbacks at the run station or at the pass station or went inside and played Sega, you know, video games. (laughs) There was a lot of dead time. So let's just say they're out there practicing pretty hard. Well, I was pretty excited, and I could run a little bit, and we did gassers at the end of
0: practice. (laughs) Everybody's exhausted.
1: I'm not. I was fresh and gung-ho, and why won? Coach Osmer said, you're running again. A kicker just won this conditioning. <laughs> so first impression of winning the first conditioning gasser and then the whole team, so there's at that time hundred and sixty people or whatever, had to run again because of me. Let's just say let's just say there was a correction that took place and I never <laughs> did that again. And Dwayne Harris, you know, he was probably you know, he
0: Yeah. He made sure you got the message. Let's
1: just say that um, I never did it again. So, but it was, uh, that was interesting. So I remember that. I also remember, uh, you know, the one that I'll never forget was Aaron Graham walking out to practice every single day. Like, you know, he'd have, you know, Corey Schlesinger walk by me and try and rattle me and say some, you know, nice comment while I was kicking. Or, you know, Tommy would walk by and say some interesting stuff and try and just try to rattle you, which is all mental toughness building. Aaron Graham would always walk by and say, D, we're winning this whole thing. We're here to win it. We're going to win the national title. Today is the day we get better. Like, he was that guy, like, and wow. I just, I felt like, I was like, okay. You know, it's like just, it was that he just had that, there was just something about him that just exuded that. I learned a lot from him. And just that, that, that presence that he could uplift other people was pretty cool.
0: I would imagine that that was a really educational experience. A useful yeah. experience. Oh, it is off the charts. How from, did it make you a better baseball player?
1: Oh, I think just a lot of the out learning how to handle the outside stuff because I was going into, you know, I had kind of been projected to be kind of a higher pick, and and there were some first time in my life like outside expectations that you probably were aware of, and going through the meat grinder of of. Husker football and the expectations and playing in front of big crowds and and, and having the other team, um, you know, trying to take out your leg or, or talking smack to you. Just a lot of things I've never processed before. Having phone calls at 3.30 in the morning from passionate uh, people telling you not to choke in the game, you know, like stuff like that. On like, your
0: side or the other side? You there's know. no
1: caller. I didn't have caller ID. I don't know who's, you know, calling before, before games. But, yeah, I mean. Get that stuff, but just all part of that's growing and learning how to handle that stuff. How to, you know, one of the big ones too is how to deal with the media, how to talk. You know, Coach always had had a special session in, in the meetings of what to say to the media, how to, you know, how to respect their their jobs. And I, I never thought about that stuff, but it though that always stuck with me about, you know, how important it was to to be respectful of everybody's job that they had to do and how to make your 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 comments as boring as possible and you know and just <laughs> thanks. Like, thanks Darren. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Coach <Oscar. laughs> But he didn't use the word boring, but that's what I took out of it. But just but you know what? little things like that were huge. I,
0: I, I bet, okay, so so you grew up in North Dakota, nobody's watching baseball up there in terms of you know, it's not not a big baseball stage. You play at Nebraska where there's five people in the stands. That would have been a tough adjustment, I think. You know, to be in the number one draft pick. Mm-hmm. The football thing, I imagine, made yeah. that made that transition easier. Again,
1: I was very fortunate to have opportunities to kind of tie it all together. Yeah, and we had more than we had more than five people at a majority. It was of at games. least twenty seven. <laughs> right, but yeah, it. Um, yeah, I mean, I've, it was always a, um, you know, just the whole production. That that they had from a team standpoint, from just the the coaching standpoint, dealing with you know Kevin Steele like trying to tackle me on the sidelines for knuckleballing a kick, you know against Colorado and team having to hold them back from beating me up, you know it's like just you learn how to deal with that. There's stuff.
0: a level of testosterone on that sideline that doesn't exist in the dugout, right? Uh
1: it's it, it's. It's different. It's a different sport. Yeah. But yeah, I mean there's
0: These are bursts of energy rather than like a long slow burn, right? Good way to put it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're the number 1 pick in 1995 a couple days before your 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. Um when did you I ask this I ask a lot of different people this question. When did you realize that you were good enough to play at the highest level?
1: Uh probably my second full year in the big leagues. and really? then, And I don't think there was ever a moment where I felt that comfortable. Like, I... No, I mean, I... You always dream about it, but, like, I still... When I got called up and I'm traveling from Vancouver, I'm like, how in the heck am I going to play with these guys? This like, is June
0: 1996, yeah. so you've been in the minors for a year.
1: No, I, I had... When I signed... I, I signed, and then I played the end of the 95. I played, like, 25 games at, like, Uh-oh. Elsinore. Came back. I started in AAA so in A. year So a year yeah. after the draft. Right, basically, yeah. yeah. So you have not played a full minor league No, I've played like three months. Yeah. And, again, all about timing, right? Angels had the worst minor league organization in baseball. Mm. So I just had an opportunity to climb up the ladder fast and, and – yeah, I mean, it, it literally is just, it was survival for those first few years. And I, I, probably not until I made that All-Star game in 98 where you walk in with that room and I'm like, what am I doing in here? It's like, really? I mean, like, you just don't feel like you belong. And then you just, you're like, start, yeah, I can play with these guys.
0: This is a good time to point out that Erstad is the only player in Major League history to win gold gloves as an infielder and as an outfielder. As a hitter, he had two really good years, 97 and 98, and one great year in 2000 when he hit three fifty-five with 25 homers and 100 RBI. There was a moment, there was kind of a big moment that happened to you in 97. You guys are in a, a playoff race, and it's, uh, you're in Baltimore, I think, and it's a 10th inning tie game, runners at first and third. You're playing first base, right?
1: Where are you finding this stuff?
0: Ground ball. <laughs> ground ball right to you. And you booted it. Yeah.
1: Harold Beans hit it.
0: And you lost. And Tony Phillips gave you a message after that. What do you remember about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was two things I remember. One, what he said. And two, how he did it. It was kind of when my, it was my first pull year we in the big leagues playoff race. And I flat out choked. I was scared. The ball found me. I was scared. First year of playing first base. I ended up having like 13 errors that year. But I was scared to death, and the ball found me. Tony could easily just right there, like blew me up in the dugout in front of everybody. He didn't. He waited, let me get through that moment of, of you know taking a shower, eating, and I, he pulled me aside, and he said, "D, he goes, we don't play this game scared. Whatever you do, we do not play this game scared." You make a mistake, you make it aggressive. Okay? He hugged me, and that was the end of it. He knew I was scared. Everybody knew I was scared. But he made sure not to do it in front of my teammates. He pulled me to the side and just addressed it. And from that moment on I never played scared again. Especially defensively. I basically said, screw it, if I'm making this mistake, it's gonna look really good. And it worked. But that was that one of those moments. And I know he, you know, he ended up later that season getting getting arrested for having drugs and driving down the interstate. But I mean, up until he, up until he passed away, he was—I'd still see him from time to time—and just one of my favorite people of all time, and just one of the greatest teammates you'll ever be around. And and uh, just, it was a pleasure to get to know him.
0: That one stuck with you, huh? Oh yeah. You had some run-ins with with teammates. In those first few years, um, your intensity didn't always wear well with teammates, right? Like ninety eight, ninety nine, you'd you'd get on guys, right? Sometimes in the media.
1: Yeah, probably. Yeah.
0: What happened? Like, there's a there's a tra- there's there's a, there's a theme I think developing where, and I found this talking to guys, you know, later about you, but. You played harder than anybody. I don't know about that. Oh, I, I'm just telling you what they say. You, know. you played harder than anybody, and that's not always easy as a teammate. Yeah. Right. Well,
1: I can tell you what happened in that particular. We had that particular window of time. A lot of good players, a lot of good teammates, but nobody that would really. I hear a lot of, a lot of complaining comments behind the scenes, behind people's backs. And I think I was kind of they kinda of said, Hey, you're the you're that next guy coming up. You gotta say something. So I think I was probably pressured into saying some stuff. Now I in the first to admit it I didn't do it the right way. And, you know, I I I know that uh, I call a couple of people soft and there was a story, a Tampa Bay writer actually pieced together a couple articles and made a story. And it was my first experience of understanding that when you put something out there and say it, that it can be spun. And I wasn't misquoted, but they put together a couple of stories and put it together and, yeah, it caused some, caused some problems. But I learned quickly. But I think from that point on, it kind of broke the ice to say, hey, we're something's going to change here. This, this isn't about each of us. We're let's enough's enough. Here this we go. The franchise
0: is has We go. losing for Here we go. Fifteen years,
1: and it wasn't just me. It, Troy Percival was, you know, and he always felt like, "Well, I'm a, I'm a pitcher. I got to do it on the pitcher's side." Well, we just kind of, it just kind of, we went through it as a that core group of guys. We just kind of, we went through some good times, bad times, and just kind of got to a point that said, screw it, and it just kind of the overall culture just kind of, we're just tired of the bickering. We were tired of the behind the people talking over here and the clicks and we just bulldozed through that mm. and you know terry collins you know the manager of the mets was our manager and, and and he did a great job when i was young of of being patient with me through some struggles not just on the field but off the field and it was kind of in that time so and then when Soch came in i think we were all not only Soch great at, i mean he's still doing it but we were as a group Really ready to just go that direction, and so it's really led
0: us that way. Your career is is fascinating to me, for 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 this reason. Um, you were kind of a football player in a baseball player's uniform. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna read you some, what some guys said about you. Sosha said, you know, a guy with his intensity and talent comes around once in a generation. You are not going to find a guy who does everything he does. Gary DeSarcina said, I saw, I saw him smile when we turned to triple play one day, and I saw him smile when he caught the last out of the World Series in the seventh game. When Erste stepped on the field, he wasn't out there to make friends. He was out there to win. Paul Bird said, You get to the ballpark six hours before first pitch, and after BP, you came back to the clubhouse, you laid out four bread squares, a glob of peanut butter on each. At that point, you did not talk to him, Bird said. You didn't joke around. You didn't talk about what you were going to do tomorrow or about the card game. It was his time and he was ready to take somebody down. You're basically playing, you're functioning as thought <laughs> we were talking about the future. <laughs> you, you're functioning as a as someone who's like playing 16 games a year, like a like an NFL player, and yet you're you're being tasked with playing 162 something's got to give there, right? Like, how did you do that?
1: Well, I was a linebacker in a kicker's body, and, you know, that's, gosh. Yeah, and it did give. I mean, I, I you know, I ran into a ton of injuries, um, you know, and you can sit here and say, what if, and I've done that a ton. Absolutely. I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, one thing that, that DSAR, Soch, from that crew, the and I still use it today, be yourself. Enjoy what you're doing, be yourself. You know, and and literally, to me that was fun, and I got my joy out of it. And and I had Reggie Jackson come up, literally came up to me in Yankee Stadium. We're doing BP. Walked right up to me and goes, "Son, you got to stop playing that way." I'm like, "Excuse me," he goes, "You need to stop playing that way. You're no no use to your team. You're never going to be able to play. You're going to be you're going to be hurt. You can't play that hard." And I'm like, Reggie, that just makes me want to beat the Yankees even more. So, thank you. Is that what you said? I don't know
0: what I said, but... You you were startled by it. I
1: I just... I was... I, I just... I couldn't relate to that. I mean, that's what I... That's... Like I go back to what my mom said. She always said, have fun. Well, what was fun to me? That was fun to me. And... Yeah. Did I deal with a ton of injuries? Absolutely. Yeah. What could have been if I would have stayed healthy? Sure. I mean, I have all those thoughts. I think everybody has those thoughts. And, but... When you break it down, I mean, that I, I know I emptied the tank. And, and. Were you mentally so. healthy,
0: though? Like Probably not.
1: No. I mean, it's just, it's, but again, it's all part of, um, yeah, I, I mean, decision analyzer. Probably not. No. I was,
0: Joe, Joe Madden thought you wore yourself out. You no, know,
1: and, and very well could have. No doubt about it. You know, but the, it's so funny, like, and Joe, we've talked about that stuff. And, you know, Larry Boa, who's, you know, my bench coach with the Phillies now, he, you know, he always used to, Say, oh, you're too intense. He looks like you're going to you're gonna rip the, the sawdust right off that bat. And then I'm like, well, Bo, when I'm playing really well, they say that same intensity makes me a great player. So which one is it? You know, it's like it, it's, it's a double-edged sword of, oh, you're intense. And when you're doing good, it's like, oh, he's so intense. He plays like a football player. He's great. And then when you're doing it's oh, he's too intense. He beats himself down. It's, it's awful for him. Which one is it? You know, it's just it's.
0: Did you think about changing?
1: Um. Yeah. When? Oh, well, I don't know. There's from time to time throughout the the year. I mean, or throughout career. I don't. I don't have. You know, you always have this plan. You're going to have some special diet, or you're going to play a certain way. You always fall back into the, the, the way you are. Um, and you know, it's. I think that the biggest thing was the that conscious effort we all made. Uh, after the O one season, because we had, you know, 0-1 01 was one of the, it was the most challenging year of my life. But compared to what a lot of people go through, it's not, it wasn't that bad. But it was a tough year, and we had a lot of guys in the team that had a really tough year. And as a group, we just said, you know what, screw this. You know, we're gonna, we're just, we're going to play as a team. We're going to have fun. And and I think from we did change a little bit. Were we were still intense, yeah. But it was it was a different different kind of intensity. And I think that what we we're, were some of that eased up a little bit was, Soch always said, "It takes all kinds." He was and he always told Ersti, "We don't want twenty five of you on the roster. We go crazy." And I think after that 0-1 year, we we kind of as a group just kind of let everybody's all their personalities kind of just come out, and I stopped worrying so much about what everybody else was doing, and we just were all just our own individuals, and it um, man it just kind of worked.
0: You uh, you mentioned how t- 2001 was a tough year. You, you got divorced that year, yeah. um, and you told me you told me once that what you learned through that process was not necessarily to dial it back, but to car- compartmentalize. That you had to basically leave baseball at the park. Yeah, it's not good. It never happens.
1: That's it's that's not how it works. And whoever can do that, they're a lot stronger than I am. It's. It's part of the deal, man. It's. it's you told me. It's <clears <clears <throat> I know. <throat> I did. It sounded good, but that doesn't. That's not how it works. That, <laughs> that, that's a, that's a, that's just a, a line. It's, that's it. Never goes away. It still doesn't go away. I mean, it's. I wake up, you know, to the middle of the night. I think about baseball. You know, it's. You're driving down the street. Think about how we're going to get better. You know, I'm not thinking about what I did 20 years ago, but I'm thinking about with this team. How's it going to piece together? What's it going? You're know, like that. It just it's. So I a long time ago I took the pressure off of trying to turn it off. It's just part of the deal. It's in there. It's it's and for me by not turning it off has actually freed me up because I don't put that I don't put that such a pressure on. You you got to go home and you you got to you can't think about it because once you start thinking that way you're of course you're gonna think about it. So I mean we go home one minute not think about baseball when your son's standing at the door going like this with a ball going let's go. I mean, what, do you, what do you do? Turn it off? It, it doesn't turn off because you're playing baseball when you get home. But it's. You know, have I gotten better at, at, you know, being a little more open? Yeah, I have. But I have my moments. But, you know, it's it's all, there's no, it's it's just all part of it.
0: Hmm. I want to, I just, this is a little bit of an aside, but I want to bring it up. 2002 in April. On a Tuesday night, you ran face first into an outfield wall chasing a fly ball. (laughs) Didn't catch it. Uh you uh, the collision knocked you you senseless. You got the game winning hit in the tenth inning. Where was that at? I'm trying to remember. At home. What's that? I Was that home against Texas? Friday night, you dove for another line drive, didn't catch it. Chin smacked the turf I so know. hard that you spent the night in the hospital. Was oh. Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh. And Troy Percival walks into the hospital room late that night and and basically scolds you. He says. You know, you don't need to be catching that ball. And you said, uh-uh, too much respect for the game, too much respect for you. If I can catch it, I'm catching it. That oh. might say Darren Dad as much as anything. I don't
1: remember any of that. <laughs> That's because you were concussed. <laughs> Adam True showed up, too, I heard, at that. He came and said hi. At me. the hospital? Yeah, because he was in, playing for Oakland at that time. Oh, really? Yeah. But, yeah, it was... Uh,
0: yeah. Um, okay, let's let's jump forward. You almost got traded in December of 01. Mm-hmm. The deal was done. Mm-hmm. You were going to Chicago to play for the White Sox.
1: Linda Cohn told me. I remember my Wiffleball buddy's house. I, he was at work. I was sitting in his, on his Lazy Boy watching Linda Cohn, and she said, Darren, I don't know if you found out yet, but you're traded to the White Sox. I heard it on ESPN. That, had, it,
0: that had to suck. No? I mean, you've kind of been part of a culture change in Anaheim, right?
1: Yeah, it's, just what can you do? It's just like, well, <laughs> here we go. Well, it was, and it wasn't really a culture change because we had just had a, just an awful year. That's true. And, I mean, it was, it was, and so I guess none of us were really surprised that that could possibly have happened. But then Bill Stoneman, you know, didn't do anything. He kept it together. and. I will tell you when we when we won that wild card in Texas that year. Who do you think the first person I went and found? I went and found Stoney, and I went over the general manager, uh huh, Bill, and I. I mean, I went. And I just hugged him. and said, "Thanks for not trading me." <laughs> and just so it was, it, we still, you know, he still helps with the Angels, and we still have those that that conversation sometimes. But yeah, that was that was a rather big moment in my life not to to get traded there. Yet. Quick timeout.
0: Really cool Did you hear the guy. buzzing during that answer? That is- that was Erstad's phone sitting on his desk. Guard, That'll be so important really at the end of the show. But not, you know, you didn't have a bunch of studs. You, you win the wild card. Uh, you won ninety nine games though, right? Yeah,
1: Oakland just had a tremendous year and won the won the division that, that
0: And then you beat Minnesota.
1: Yeah, we beat Yankees Minnesota and then
0: Yankees Minnesota. Yeah. Game six of the World Series, you're down five nothing in the seventh inning. Bottom of the seventh, your home park. Uh, down 5 nothing. The Giants are like the, in their clubhouse. They've got all the champagne rolled out. you probably heard stories about this. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, Russ
1: Ortiz is pitching. He's went to Oklahoma. What's was, that? Ortiz is pitching for the Giants. Had faced him in college with Oklahoma. So we've had that. I played with him with the Astros. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and you just keep saying... You're down five nothing in the seventh inning, and you're telling guys, "You never know. You just never know. You just never know," and sure enough, three run three run homer what was a gloss.
1: No, Spezio hit the three.
0: Spezio hits a three run homer. You lead off with the solo homer in the eighth. You guys come back and win at six five. What do you remember about game six?
1: I'm good on remembering feelings, and when when we like as the third out was made and we were high-fiving on the field, it, there was – you could tell that nobody was going to get our way. I mean, you could just – You're going to the win games. There game was just – I mean, I know anything can happen, but there was, there was an electricity in that group that – in that stadium that it was – I mean, it was, it was real. And nobody talked about it. Everybody went home. But it, you just – there was – it just – it was a pretty pretty powerful moment.
0: Um. You never really got back to the level that you were in 2000 and 2002. Um, I know injuries were a huge part of that, but why weren't you the hitter after why weren't you the hitter after 28 27 that you were before 27
1: 28? Well, I had I mean, you consider and I mean trying to come up with it. Ultimately if I could have repeated 2000, I would have, you know, but I didn't um things have changed I I did some damage to my right knee uh, and I had to wear a brace for quite a bit after that I uh, lost a lot of ability to, to hit off that f- stiff front side that's that played a big part in it um you know it was really after after that 0 0-3 seasons when that happened it was pretty much survival after that really yeah it was it was it was a grind it was you know, you survived a long time. Yeah, but it was, it was, and then, I, and then I didn't have to wear the brace when I wasn't an everyday player anymore, but, you know, it just,
0: uh, it I just, again,
1: the, that stuff caught up to me playing the way I did, and, and uh, you know, after, you know, from that point on, I, I, I really, when that front knee thing happened, and I just, I, I just had this problem with my tendon, and every time I would hyperextend when I swung, and I, I had to wear an ACL brace with a 30 degree block, so it would never get to that point. And it just, you know, you got to make do and just try and survive.
0: Did you think about hanging it up way earlier?
1: Uh, no. I I think the first time I really thought about it was probably after that White Sox season where I had just stupid, my back foot caught in the dirt in Toronto and I thought I snapped my leg and my ankle in half and... End up being a high ankle sprain, and it just took forever. It just never healed, and you know, after that, you're like, you know, know you're probably done as an everyday player. And then you know, Houston calls, and it's like, do I want to sit on the bench and not play? And and it's, and my wife was just like, you can't. I mean, come on, make make sure you get it all out of your system. I don't want to hear about this type of thing. And it was, you know, you're like, all right, we'll try it out. And they had Hunter Pence was had just played one full year. Michael Bourne was a rookie. And they, you know, had uh, kind of told me, say, hey, come help these guys out a little bit. I'm like, all right, that'll be, be cool, and, you know, see how that goes. And I actually, it was up there with one of my favorite years of my life. Really? I mean, just as far as Osmus Loretta, uh, Jeff Blum, Jose Cruz Jr., we had the, the best bench. And that's what made it. All of us guys were bench players, and it just, it made the bench fun. So it, it turned turned out to just be a wonderful wonderful experience, and, and uh, I'm glad I got to do it.
0: A lot of downtime with a baseball game, wasn't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean those those guys in the dugout. I mean Blum now now he's a, a TV guy for the Astros, so he loved to talk, and he actually got to play a little bit still. Osmonds doesn't shut up, you know, he's talking smack the whole time, and Loretta's the cerebral run of the group, and Jose he's awesome, and just it uh, was a it was a it was a fun
0: mix. Uh, when, when you took the job here in 2011 um, I was reaching out trying to get in touch with some of your old teammates and I put in a call to Paul Bird who had played, he played one year with you I think mm-hmm. he played 14 major league seasons for 7 teams only one year with you I called him on like a Thursday I'm writing a story for Sunday I think he calls me back at 11:30 at night, my time, 12:30 in Atlanta, where he lives. He calls me from the back closet of a bedroom in his house. He's talking really quietly because he doesn't want his wife to hear him. He's dead serious, like he's he, he's like there's emotion in his voice, Darren, and he's like talking. He says. I wanted to call you to say something about him as a teammate. People ask me all the time, who's your favorite you had playing behind you? He played with me one year and I would have to say it was him. It didn't matter if you were up by 10, down by 10, if it was a game that didn't mean anything or you were in a playoff race, he played the same. If I was to pick one guy to go to war with tomorrow and I needed a guy with me in the foxhole, I would pick Darren Erstad. When you play like that, how do you adjust to, to suddenly not playing? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, well, I still live it. It doesn't turn off just because they kick you off the train and the Grim Reaper tells you you can't play anymore. I mean, you don't – that doesn't just shut off. I mean, everybody says you retire. You don't retire. They tell you you're not good enough to play anymore. It's, I just think that's hilarious that people say – I mean, how many people really retire? David Ortiz, Mariano Rivera, Derek Jeter – the rest of us, you don't retire. They tell you you're not good enough, and you're done. It's over. So you can try and say face and say you're retiring. No, you're retiring because you're not good enough. Just the way it works, or something's physically wrong with you. But the bottom line is you can't perform at that level, so you're done. But that doesn't shut off your motor. It doesn't shut off your, you know, you know your your drive, your passion. So I think again, I I was super lucky, super lucky. Mike Anderson gave me a chance to volunteer unbelievably lucky that coach Osborne gave me an opportunity to to coach that you know probably helped with that buffer of you know channeling some of that stuff you know through coaching and it's it's real man i mean i, I mean paul bird was one who did the study him and his wife and they were doing i think they said over 80% of former baseball players get divorced because there is no way to channel, channel that and life's different and the lifestyle's different and all that stuff so Again, I'm just very, very fortunate to have a supporting wife and, and um, an opportunity to be the coach here. I mean, if it's off by one year, that doesn't happen. You know? I mean, it's, it's all timing. If, that, if we're off by one year, it, it doesn't happen.
0: But it did. Where does the competitive, the, the over-competitiveness, where do you have to check that? Like, where where does that manifest itself, and where do you have to, like, pull the reins back? You know what I mean? Do you have to pull the reins back? I don't, I don't think so.
1: I've never I've never been a a it's not personal. It's not like like I've never like I've never I don't know how to describe it. It's never been like an outwardly at somebody else, you know what I mean, or or physically like where I'm out of control. Like it's I've never ever once had, you know, that type of a feeling. Right. I mean I don't I guess I've never thought about it. It
0: was but coaching is a tough transition because you don't have control over other people's competitors. Oh, it's yeah. awful. It's, it's one of the worst
1: things ever. <laughs> it's, it's, it's absolutely torture. I mean, it's, 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 sitting there, it's like, oh my gosh, that just happened. There's nothing I can do. I'm just, oh my gosh, I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. Those are real. That, that's, that happens. But you're saying, it's like, you know what? I honestly, I, I, it was hard right away and, and, now, like, I literally, and nobody told me this. I don't know where I even thought of, but every time I see something bad happen or it doesn't go a certain way, all I think about is it's, this is a great opportunity for that kid to grow. The bigger the situation, the more adversity, oh, it's time for him to grow. Like, he's, if he, like, gives it up on the mound or strikes out, I'm like, hey, this is a great time to develop mental toughness. How are we going to respond to this? Or if they do a great job, it's like, hey, it's a great time to grow. This is a great time to learn how to handle success. And I just kind of, I've done like, maybe that's my way of coping with it or whatever, but that's kind of where my mindset is 24 7. You
0: went from your dad writing notes to you like that. Now you're writing notes to yourself. Gosh, damn, getting old.
1: Yeah. But yeah, it is. It's, it's exactly probably right. Yeah. What
0: do you wish you, what do, what do you know now about coaching that you wish you knew in the fall of 2011?
1: Oh, uh, I would say, and I still you know, it's a struggle every day, but just the communication side of things of like, especially like kids don't know what you're thinking. Where I would think that they knew that I cared or that I was thinking something and I didn't express it to them. Hmm. And then they, they, you know, like, oh, coach isn't approachable. And I'm like, you know, it took like being able to express what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, what I'm. Wanting to teach, just that side of the communication side of it, and, and I'm sure my wife would say that. <clears throat> yeah, good luck. You got a long ways to go. You have to that. be more verbal. No doubt about it. And and that and that that part of it, like like knowing, like pointing out things in a practice or in uh, one of the kids' lives, and letting them know how much I appreciate it and mm-hmm. how. Or if there's something that I think needs to be fixed, and just talking about it. Like in, you know, just expressing myself more. And because as
0: a baseball player, you don't have to do that, do you? So much of it's internal, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I just feel a lot of things for so long, and you just did them a certain way, you know. And my passion or my love or whatever I'm thinking, just being able to share that with guys—not my experiences, right—but how I'm feeling in, about the game or about their effort or them as you know individuals in. You know, you show them that you care, but sometimes they need to hear it too, and just being able to verbalize that.
0: Did your reputation precede you to the point where they had a hard time? Probably, yeah.
1: And I think that's and that's where I wish I would have known that that somebody would have said, "Hey, that hyper intense no talk guy isn't going to cut it as a coach." I learned quickly that it, it didn't, but I would have liked to have known that right away out of the gate. And it was because that that just that getting. On the same level, and with the guys on the team, it probably took a little longer than it needed to. Mm. But now I've, you know, I've taken steps in the right direction. There
0: is the game. Is the major league game today still the one that you played, or has it changed? Oh no, it's it's. It, I
1: mean, the the players now are ten times bigger. They throw ten times harder, and it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a faster game, but it's a slower game. Meaning that that the hustle aspect of the game is is slower but the physical sheer physical ability is greater the guys throw harder they are just beasts of human beings that hit bombs and they're just unbelievably athletic they've put a lot of time into it but on the other side they don't run the bases as hard there's not as much going through walls and you know there's there's a little give and take. Does it
0: bother you watching games? Not one bit.
1: Really? Not at all. I, I, I will sit down. I can watch baseball all night. Really? I love watching uh, the game. I say that. There's still plenty of guys that, that get after it. But, I mean, it's just it's a different game. Home Homers are in. Strikeouts are okay. No stolen bases. You know, stuff like that. Uh, but just the sheer physical ability of the players right now is, it's just astounding. I'm like, really? Another guy throwing 100? Really? Another? Oh, 92-mile-an-hour slider? Oh, okay. You know, it's like, really? Oppo- another opposite field home run? Here we go. It's like, I just, it's, it's amazing to me. It's, it's the same broken record. And it, I just laugh because when I came up, they're like, they don't make kids like they used to, you know. And then when we started playing and the next wave came up, they're like, oh, they don't make them like they used to. Now we're old and out of it, and what are we saying now? They don't make them like they used to. It's the same. Every generation's different. They have their own set of issues and problems. I'm just, I'm, I'm not that guy. that It's it's just different, you know. But it's still a great, beautiful, wonderful game.
0: Do you struggle to adapt to this generation or not?
1: No, I mean, I, I try my hardest can I ever relate to them? No, I don't know what they're going through. I don't deal with social media like they do. I don't deal with the the multitasking that they're what's asked out of our student athletes now is ten times more than what was asked out of us when we were you know, as far as from an academic, school, nutrition, life skills, I mean, socially or media wise. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. I mean you go back I mean, back in the day, you go back to your room, you get maybe your answer machine's got a little red thing blinking on it. You get in your car, there's no cell phone beeping in your car. It's like, did you check your email. What? Like, didn't have email. It's like, didn't have anything. So you always got a break. Kids these days don't get a break.
0: Darren, baseball is a sport of intense concentration. Is it harder to be a good baseball player with all that stuff going on in the head?
1: I, I mean, maybe for us that aren't used to it, yeah. But that's the thing. This generation, that's what they're used to. They multitask. They can do this and talk to you while they're texting. I mean, they 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 just they have the ability to multitask and and bounce around, you know. And and it's just the way. It, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just the way it is. And yeah, is it different? Sure, because that's not how we grew up. Everybody, oh, it's just so different. Yeah, it's different because it's there's better technology and things are different. Yeah, it's the way it works. So, do they want to listen to me talk after a game? No, they they. <laughs> Joe Stomachowski gave me the best advice as as a coach. He goes, he goes thirsty. He goes, two things they want to know: what time the bus is, and what's the, the spread afterwards. What are we eating? They don't want to listen to the, what you're talking about after the game. <laughs> so there's, that's all they care about. And I I tell our like the younger, the coaches of our younger teams, like when like the, uh, my son's teams, and they're picking their nose, and laying on their bag, or all they care about is: are we going to Dairy Queen or not? What time? It's eight thirty. It closed at nine. Let's go.
0: Before we get to the credits, there's a postscript to this podcast. We did the interview in Darren Erstad's office at Haymarket Park. Remember the phone buzzing on his desk? Well, that was from his secretary. He had a visitor outside. Oh my gosh. Coach Osmond. Oh, oh Ah! He's out there. <laughs> I just saw my phone. Coach still here? No, he wasn't. Coach Osburn, who stops in from time to time to see the man he hired, was gone. Boy, did I feel like a fool. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. You can subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or check us out at omaha.com slash podcasts. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. If you have feedback, please email me at dirk.com period chatelaine at owh.com